Welcome to another episode of the DH Effect, where we pledge to have a decided heart through taking personal ownership and building high trust relationships with one another and creating a place of belonging. This is what we call the decided heart effect. My name is Hillary, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Sonia, today. You might have to be careful and do a double take there because there's two people that look like Sonia today, but we'll get to that in a second. Today, we're going to do things a little differently, aren't we, Sonia? That is right, Hillary. So our world today, we have experienced a lot of natural disasters, from volcano eruptions to wildfires, tsunamis to earthquake, and now this long-term experience with the COVID pandemic. And sometimes, no, 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 most times, most times (laughs) we're feeling really overwhelmed, shifting through all the information that's out there, and then determining what do we trust? What do we trust in order to make our decisions? So today we have this incredible expert panel representing the Design Network for Emergency Management, also known as DENEM, D-N-E-M, and they're going to really help us sort through all of this. These award-winning designers and scientists come from all over the world. Literally, I can't wait for you guys to hear where they're coming from. Um, And they come with this very specific mission to to work with, for, and alongside communities to make sure they are safer before, during, and after emergencies. And how timely is it for us that you are coming with us, coming to us today? And then, then the side note, just in case you might recognize, but I, I literally probably am the better looking one. There is my twin <gasps> sister, Claudine. Um, she is one of the expert panelists and uh, she's gonna help along with her team, um, help us cut the cognitive noise so we can make safer choices. So thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Welcome. We would love just to hear a little bit about yourselves. If we could start, we're going to start with Claudine just because our viewers, some of them have seen you before in one of our episodes, and then you can pass it off to whoever you want to. But if you could start, just give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you are to this group, and how you became involved. Great. Um, and I thank you, Hillary. And I'd love to say my sister is 12 minutes only older. I just need to put that out there. <laughs> She's like, oh, there's that moment again. Um, thank you so much for having me back on, but also inviting uh, this wonderful group that we sort of found each other. So um, my decided heart moment was, you know, me wanting to be a forest firefighter when I was 18. And my parents were a no-go on that. And actually, not made me, but pretty much made me uh, go into art school and into graphic design. Um, I wanted, I was always searching for a way to serve the public. This was something I felt very much as part of my childhood, a career that had a contribution. Um, And so it was me wanting to serve and, and as a graphic designer in a traditional sense, working on ads and so forth, I just wasn't satisfied. So I joined Search and Rescue. Um, I kept these two worlds apart and then found a way in grad school uh, because I really was horrible at Search and Rescue. Horrible. Had to get rescued in all these great ways uh, that gave me humility, sent me to grad school and came back and said, you know what? I can serve the public being a designer. I thought I was in my own world there trying to you know, carve out this little place that didn't exist. And then I met Tingyi. Tingyi uh, from Taiwan, we were at an information design conference. And I believe it was there, I shared this and Tingyi was like, me too. 
Through that exchange, her and I were like, we should start something. This was, gosh, at least 10 years ago. And Denem started to formulate in the background a, a group of designers, of experts who were interested in this public service, uh, advocating for the public in times of crisis and the way uh, design can help with visual communication. So that was my decided heart moment. This is the seed um, that uh, started with, can we get a group together to really facilitate this internationally? And um, we are in year five, I believe, as an um, association, year five. Same group, our membership's building, and we can talk more about that later. Um, but I will now pass the mic on to Tingy because it's 6 a.m. in Taiwan, so she gets the mic. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tingy. Uh, yes, good morning to everyone. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, and Actually, I devoted into uh, information design for more than 10 years, um, not only working on practical design with young designers in my lab at uh, National Taiwan University of Science and Technology. I also conduct researches so that we can do design better for our better living environment. Uh, as uh, um, Colin mentioned before, um, actually, it's been a great pleasure for me to serve as a board member at uh, DNAM. Um, it certainly is a memorable moment uh, that I remember. Yeah, ten about ten years ago, I met Claudine in uh, in London, um, and after a couple of years earlier for our first meet somewhere in the world, I, I can't remember where, uh, in in a conference. I remember both of us did did our presentations about our research papers and started to know each other, as uh, Claudine just mentioned. Um, and I received an email uh, and that we talked and got very excited to ensure that we share um, the same interest and enthusiasm in information design. And at that time, as a young scholar, 10 years ago, as you can imagine, um, who was lacking experiences like me, uh, couldn't imagine what amazing power that an international conference could possibly bring. Um, I was so glad and honored that five of us connected online and formed DNAM uh, in, I think it's uh, 2016, uh, and finally physically got together uh, in Los Angeles, uh, in USA in 2019, and I appreciate it a lot, yeah. Um, so um, I, I'm going to pass to, uh, on my screen is uh, uh, Rodrigo. <laughs> Thank you, Tingji. Well, thank you, Sonia and Hilary for this uh, invitation. My name is Rodrigo Ramirez. I'm connecting from Santiago, Chile, and a proud member of, of this uh, group of researchers and, and makers. Uh, for me, is I'm an information designer also. Um, and coming from a country like Chile, uh, a, a natural laboratory, uh, for disasters or, or for emergencies, it uh, became natural also to uh, focus my work, my work in design in emergencies, crisis. Um, so I started to work in a, I, I, I designed also typefaces, the, the fonts and the icons. So I, I joined it, I mixed everything in a project called Gemil or Guemil 
and it's a project of icons for emergency. It, uh, it's an open source um, set of, uh, of symbols uh, for uh, public display of uh, information before, during, and after an, an emergency. So I think in 2017, I, I met uh, Claudine, Saskia, and then we started uh, DNM. Uh, I, I remember especially that uh, moment when uh, we met at uh, Chapman University in, in Orange County in 2019 also. Um, yeah, well, for me, it's very special to, 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 to join this event today because uh, I'm uh, convinced that uh, for a decided uh, heart effect, uh, you have to put passion in uh, the work that you do. And working with students, as uh, Tingji said uh, before, um, you, you, you have the opportunity every day, uh, the opportunity to transfer this passion to your young uh, designer, young researchers. So coming from the communication, the visual communication, the design of information, I try to, to, to give to pass, but also to hear uh, this uh, uh, energy, uh, creative energy uh, every day. So many thanks for this invitation and I pass the turn to Saskia now. Thank you. Thank you, Rodrigo. Hi, my name is Saskia and I'm based in Leiden, which is between Amsterdam and The Hague in the Netherlands. And I come from a very scientific background. So I am trained as a geophysicist. Um, that's what I got my master's degree in and then eventually went on to get a PhD in remote sensing of active volcanoes. And my decided heart moment really came in 2008 when I was on the ground in uh, Nicaragua looking at a volcano called Masaya Volcano. And we were driving around there as a group of scientists for about two weeks. And we were driving through an area on this volcano, which is called, we refer to it as the kill zone, because nothing will grow in this area. The gases that come out of this volcano are so toxic that you'll only find a couple of really hardy plant species like grasses that will just cling on. And in the middle of this sort of desert area are small communities and there's people living there and there's children there and they're, they're going to school and they're constantly surrounded by these toxic gases. And all of a sudden it just clicked for me that just going there to collect data as a scientist wasn't right. And uh, we needed to somehow be able to talk to these people and also hear from them what it is that their concerns were. And that's when I started turning to design. And then I think it was not quite 10 years ago. I think I'm hoping it was 2014 that I met Claudine and Tinji in London at this conference. And that's really where the ball started rolling. And after that, I also ended up doing a, a degree in design to get that as a complementary skill. And right now I'm working in the humanitarian sector, working on humanitarian innovation. And actually what I find there is that I'm bringing in these design skills and design methods that I've learned and applying them to other um, challenges. But once again, a lot of it comes down to communication and bridging communication barriers. And often the way to bridge that is visual. So powerful. I have, I, I have so many questions, but I did want to give you an opportunity. Did you want to do a shout out to Klaus? So our fifth, um, our fifth, our fifth executive board of director member is Klaus Kramer, and he's from New Zealand. 
Um, I was referred to him by uh, Catherine Gillison from Canada. This is very international. Information design is very international at a conference. Fine, I love that. <laughs> and um, he he was doing an app uh, called Floodscape. And it was a proposal for New Zealand is the epicenter for tsunamis. Um, and he developed this prototype where it would actually tell people in their hand how far the tsunami will arrive in their area, the countdown for that, and where to go in real time. It was a phenomenal piece of proposal. And that also made me think he is also interested. He's a designer. He teaches at the University of Wellington. Um, and we got him on board. We were saying, this is the place for you. And so that's our shout out to Klaus. He can't be here today because he's teaching. He also teaches at a university um, undergrad design student. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. Sonia, aren't you? St I'm struck by. I'm so struck. <laughs> I know, me too. Not only by the background, the intelligence, but actually the, the passion and the energy. Each one of you, as you're speaking, just the truly, I can feel your hearts are in what you do. You truly believe in what you do. And it's such an honor, again, to speak with you. Can you lead us down the path just a little bit before we dig deeper into, we keep on saying information design? But for those people that are out there listening or watching and they're like, wait, information, what does that mean? <laughs> right. Well, it, information is maybe one of the elements uh, more ab abundant today in, in our everyday interactions. Uh, you need information for almost everything. Uh, and specifically in the context of emergency, you will need more and more information. So, it's very important to give uh, a shape, uh, but also uh, understand what I am doing, what I am seeing. And for me, the, the most important part is what are you doing then with the information that you have seen and then you have understood? Uh, it, it is uh, possible to take a safe decision, for, for example, or... Uh, uh, to know that everything is, is going okay with the, with the moment. So, um, yeah, is, this is the combination specifically uh, between information design and emergency management. But inf information design is the design of information. It takes a visual form uh, initially, but uh, also affects all the interactions that we, we, we conduct uh, every day. Uh, surely my colleagues will will add more precise uh, definitions. I was actually going to add a much less precise definition. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have I have something to admit. I had my, I got my undergrad in communications, and I'm like, oh, I'm I know about communication. It's the it's the nonverbals. It's the verbals. It's the tone, the pitch, all of those traditional ways of communicating with one another. And honestly, Claudine had to handhold me. To, for me to truly understand what information design is. And so we'd be walking down a street and then she would be like pointing to a font of a store. And I, I'd be like, that's just a font. Why are you making me study this font? You know, and she was really, what you said, Rodrigo, is that we take advantage, I think most of us is when we see visual cues, we, we automatically respond and act on it without knowing. And and then that's what the first time Claudine said, stop, stop and think, how are you reacting to that, vis that visual, that icon? 
what is it making you do? How are you influenced by that action? And I just was like, mind blown, mind blown. And then you, you all are the think tank of designing shape, color, like when, where, what to really impact action. And, and you did say there, that there, this is critical. The visual communication in a crisis is critical. Can anyone speak to that? So it's, it's partially, um, if I may go ahead, um, a very large part of that is because we, as humans, we visually process information much faster than information that we read or that we hear or that what, other, what our other sensors are, are telling us. And so during an emergency, time is often of the essence. And so the quicker that you can get information coming into you and that's automatically making you perform a certain action or turning a certain way or moving in a certain direction, the more likely you are to stay safe during that emergency. And this is why the visual component is so salient and so important in our work. You know, it's interesting to me as well. Have you noticed a shift or a change through time as well? Because I think we're becoming even more visually rich in in our world. I know from a teaching perspective, we're told that if within the first five minutes of introducing a new concept, if a visual doesn't coincide with that, the student is less likely to be able to retain that and have it become part of their knowledge. Are you seeing that it's your work is being sought after even more now than ever before? I do mapping. I do uh, public uh, public facing maps in Southern California. Actually, for the state of California, uh, first it was tsunami. It wasn't so thought out because we don't think about that as a main hazard here on the coast. Uh, that was usually just from the governor's office. But I will say fire, um, definitely. The, the need for that visual, I call it imprinting. And yes, I'm referencing the Twilight series. <laughs> <laughs> Team Jacob. Oh, sorry. <laughs> How do you imprint? Because they weren't doing a very good job of it. And they're, they just did not have, and I say they, the emergency management, the decision makers didn't have the tools to communicate with the public in a way that would uh, be, be relatable, accessible. So I will say in my work, especially with fire, I have seen an increase and, you know, Claudine, I, please speak to our people. <laughs> please give them, a, and it's really spatial risk awareness. So they understand, do you live in the wildfire hazard? And if so, do you know more than one way out and just in case, because fires are very organic. So that's from my perspective, as far as um, seeing that increase. Um, for me, uh, I think the visual information as a visual uh, could be, could do both. One is a uh, fast, uh, uh, delivering and um, for a communication. But another side is uh, it also slowed down uh, because it has a, uh, uh, the video is so uh, important. Uh, even though we have a quick reaction when we saw the, when we see the icons or those videos, but also it contains a lot of cultural background. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and we absorb it uh, without thinking. So, uh, and that's why it's so powerful. You know, I'm thinking about the old school maps. I don't know, maybe many of ours like what old school maps, you know, where it was so detailed oriented. And I think before like the information, I'm calling it a revolution because our patient, our patient's level, my pay, I'll just speak for myself. My patient's level is this small now because I don't want to read that much text. I just don't, I've got things to do and I can just scroll on my phone 
and I want one word or one picture to tell me what to do or get my information. And it's so interesting how we used to have these roadmaps with all these details. And for me, that would cause frustration. And I think to act upon that, it takes a lot of time. And I think like Tingy, you were saying culturally, I think we're just becoming impatient to read through things, to get accurate information. And with the DH effect, trust is so important in terms of living with a decided heart. And trusting information is, I think, one of the things we don't think a lot about. How, how do you compromise that? Building the trust with just an icon or, or visual communication um, where then people are making the right decisions. Do you, do you guys talk about that when you, when you design? I think you just touched upon something really interesting. And you were saying, you know, it takes time. And this is the really interesting thing about our work. For example, what Claudine just referenced, these fire clear maps or the tsunami clear maps. The public are actually presented these when they're in an, a normal everyday situation. And it takes time to learn what to do. But most of us are visual learners. So if we're confronted with the same cues over and over again, we start to learn what to do. For example, a lot of us won't have flown in almost two years now um, because of the COVID crisis. But we will still be able to repeat what you're supposed to do. You put on your own oxygen mask first before helping somebody else. And then you follow the guided XY, uh, pathway lights to the exit. You know, we still know that because that's been drilled into us. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's what we work towards. It's, it's presenting information before something goes wrong so that you get sort of drilled into you in the background what it is that you're supposed to do when you do find yourself in an emergency. And I'm, I'm marveling too. It's funny. Sonia and I are actually working on a, a, a chapter for, for a book, for an anthology. And we were just saying today, it is harder. It's easier to work on a book than it is to work on a chapter because to take and drill it down and get it so simple. And so your work must be, I mean, you're like, oh, it's just a picture. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. What goes into some of these decisions so that it is accessible to everyone. So it is trustworthy. So it is drillable. And people who have this bandwidth where when you're in an emergency situation, you're trying to think of so many things that you don't have the bandwidth to try to translate. How do, what, what goes into that process? Well, in, in, in my opinion, and in the, in the case of, uh, of the icons for emergency, one of the key aspects is to measure performance. Uh, testing the interpretation, collecting uh, different uh, interpretations, uh, maybe observing also the cultural background, the language uh, where these uh, interpretations are made, the familiarity with the scenarios of emergency. Uh, when we conducted, for example, the Gemil test uh, in Asia, sometimes we uh, collect some interesting observations uh, different from, from, from that cultural background, but sometimes, for example, um, uh, if you don't know, or you don't live near to a volcano, for example, you will interpret to totally different that, uh, that elements of information. If you are familiarized with the tsunami phenomena, probably you will conduct, uh, you will make other interpretations. Uh, uh, past year, for example, we collected uh, different interpretations from the icon, the, from the uh, duck uh, icon, the drop cover and hold 
uh, it's totally different uh, from every part of the world. Uh, if, if I can make a difference, it's uh, different from people that is familiarized with the earthquake and people that is not familiarized with the earthquake. And in this way, we, ha we have plenty of stories about interpretation. So for me, it's very important to measure performance, to collect the, the most of data uh, in order to know how this communication is performing, finally. So will all, oh, go ahead, Claudine. Oh, yeah, I, I was, this has been, this is the designer's like just hardest thing. It's like, how do you drill it down? And to even push it further, what we've, what the trust part is not just the trust to, from the public's point of view, but also trust in what we do for decision makers, like emergency managers to trust us to say, you know what, my, my maps lie. They don't, they're not accurate. I'll take your GIS maps, but they're not gonna be accurate. And they have to trust that that's the right decision, even though it's against what their practice is. We did a workshop for, to make design accessible to non-designers, to emergency managers. This is where that, uh, um, we got a grant for all of us to join at Chapman University to run a three-day workshop with all of these emergency managers who knew the value in design, but had no access even to begin how to use it. So we had to get our craft and our skill in a way, and Hillary, like you were saying, to get it into a, a package that made it sense to someone who's never thought about design in this way. And from that workshop, we learned a lot, right? Because we were able to be empathetic and understand their points of view, what they had to be responsible for. Um, but we also were able to put a workbook together to, in order to say, this is actually too much information. This is the right amount. This is what's usable to them. And it really, like Rodrigo said, it is about including people in the process. It's not this, you know, let us go in our, in our, you know, room and do our thing and then come back out. It's including the public in those performance measures and the data. Hey, you're, we want to hear from you. This is about you participate. So we know if it fails or not. Um, and also on the other side with uh, emergency managers, including and not, you know, breaking down those territories or those those walls of disciplines. Oh. Um, one thing that I, I found truly fascinating, you know, you, you use the word lie and trust in the same sentence. <laughs> and that's just you're like, how, how can you? you? You can't trust someone who lies. And, and I, I think what you've, what's so, again, another mind-blowing experience is what is the outcome? What is the outcome of the message that we're trying to to solve and the outcome is to keep people safe and you know in a state like understanding brain and thinking and emotions when we react sometimes we you know like there is that forgiveness like when we when we're not as accurate they don't the brain doesn't need that accuracy they need to know how to get to point a and b very very quickly and i find that i find that so truly amazing that um and the hard work of convincing those who thought no accuracy means trust. Uh, have you had a lot of conflict in that, or or was it just more of a hey when I when I'm exposed to this, I understand the intent of denim in general. I mean, my experience has been amazing. Emergency once they understand it, they understand pretty quickly the value, and they the trust is there. I will say, being academics does help. We use that I use that card a lot because otherwise they pegged me and this happened in the beginning. You're from the art department. What are you doing here? And not that like cutesy, like, what are you doing here? You know, it's like, 
literally, why, what do you have to contribute? And so um, I understand my position of privilege. I understand that being a professor, having quantitative data versus qualitative, even though they're, one is not overpowering than the other, um, is I'm able to use a language that they understand in order to gain that trust. And then after that, it's just outcomes. It's being able, getting public feedback that's really positive, right? That kind of helps support that, the work. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, inviting people to the room. Like you said, you don't just go in the room and create this and then come back out because that would be, I mean, quite frankly, that that would be very um, ego-centered, right? Like, let's just produce what we think works without, in a, in a vacuum, without asking anyone, right? How on earth, I'm overwhelmed thinking you have so many people, you have people with also visual impairment, but you also have, you have, you have people with, with other, you know, language barriers, um, death, uh, you know, so many different, different cultural contexts. Mm. How do you even start? Because I would think that you could almost do a million different a million different icons and have it mean something different to every single person. I think that's that's one of the big challenges that we're facing. And I think you actually touched upon two different elements there in, in what you were saying is that one is, you know, you're, you've got all of these different people and you want to bring them together and work on the same thing. And then actually there's also uh, a lot of people who are not going to respond to a visual for whatever reason that might be. Either it's, you know, either they are visually impaired or they are culturally not in sync with the visual that they're being presented with. Um, and these are all things that we have to think about and that we have to take on board. That's not to say that that's easy at all, but um, one of the things that you can do to get around issues like that is actually to consider, you know, we have five different senses. We can make use of more senses than one when we're designing um, information systems. So think, for example, of a siren, that's another information system. But to bring it back to the airplane, you know, you normally see the video as well as getting the, the audio cue from the loudspeaker system. So there's already two things telling you, giving you the same information, um, but they're, it's more broadly accessible that way. I, I, that's, it means so much to me to hear this conversation because I do think as parents, as educators, you know, let's bring it to a different level. We're talking about an emergency situation, but I do see so much frustration and distrust of communication, partially because everyone's coming at it with, this is, this is my information, this is my information, without thinking about somebody else's point of view around it and how they can actually help show a different perspective. So it's interesting, even though we're talking about emergency information in this, in this, I mean, I'm in my, I remember being told when I was parenting, I was frustrated. One of my kids wasn't being able to clean the room the way that I wanted it to. Well, it was kind of arrogant that I thought that when I said, clean your room, he knew exactly what it meant. Right. But so the, the tip I was given was do it with him and then take a picture and show him and say, this is what I want it to look like every time. And I wish all of the things that you are such scholars in and scientists in, we can use in our everyday life in how we, if we're just curious and our, our goal is really to have common understanding rather than just to get someone else to figure out the way that we see things. Yeah. Well, you and then you, I was going to say you, you model it as a team. I mean, we not only are you representing five different countries, backgrounds, each of you have a very particular skill set. You have decided to come together 
with all these different ways of how each of you may look at, at design, do you guys grapple with that? I mean, maybe purposely too, like Claudine, you're with mapping, you know, Rodrigo, you're with icons and, you know, we've got apps and research. Uh, and I, again, like, I just think what a great model it is. Like when I, when I listen to you, I want to come away with, perhaps I can engage with others a little bit with a little bit more patience and maybe asking more questions than coming up to the answer. So how do you guys do it? I think the more diversity, our diversity, can I, I have to do a shout out to, this is more touchy feely, but when we first saw each other it was after three years, we just saw each other online. And then we finally got them on planes and, and, and came to Chapman. And I, I will say this, and maybe this is my, we love each other. It was like, <laughs> it's this true diverse group from all over the, the you know, the world. And then that in person, you just immediately knew like what you're seeing, what you're feeling as far as our passion and our work we have towards each other. And it's that, I just wish the world, you know, just like diversity, accepting such diverse backgrounds and expertise, but we had a shared passion for um, doing good in the world, you know, contributing. And it was there, I'm a people person and to feel that relationship just also transcend, you know, not just our work, but um, our individual work and our work as a group, but also this is real, like this is a real connection that the five of us have. Um, I think the diversity, Sonia, is the part that makes us the strongest part of us, mm -hmm. is having that diversity and those different backgrounds. Um, and we really know how to, it's, a, it's an example of interdisciplinarity at its best, of con collaborations, because sometimes collaborations could be, you do what you do best, you do what you do best, and then we'll kind of mesh it together. But we truly are in each other's business, you know, <laughs> kind of in the, in the most wonderful way. I will add uh, very briefly to that, that uh, we learn a lot from, uh, from the other, from, from uh, Saskia, uh, the scientific approaches, uh, Tingi, from uh, the work with students, uh, working in technology, from Claudine, I remember always our very interesting conversations about graphic design and how this have evolved into information design. So I think we, we learn a lot uh, in, in our experience uh, these years. We have learned a lot from, from, from the other. Yeah, I would like to add on too. <laughs> Actually, I got a lot of uh, um, energy and inspirations from um, mm. uh, from. Um, uh, all our members uh, and boards at uh, uh, of DNAM. And I enjoy it uh, very much about our meetings, even though I always need to wake up early. And I, I, I think it's the <laughs> good, uh, good to start with my day. Um, uh, I, I always enjoy our meetings and we, we have had and always, and always anticipating the next meeting after one another. And that's amazing. Um, I think the the great interest to set an anchor for me to focus on what I want to do, but a strong group of people to support and to collaborate with could bring up our strengths in order to make the things forward. It is, that is such a beautiful thing because I do think that we, so many people have been brought up, at least in, in the United States culturally, to think that you're supposed to do it on your own, right? You're supposed to be successful on your own. But the reality is, I mean, the humility that I feel from each one of you in your own right, you are each superstars. You are absolutely phenomenal human beings, right? But then to come together 
with humility and say, but I know I can still learn from you and I'm curious and tell me more and lean into it and do it with joy. That sense of belonging. I know Sonia, you've said before, that's the number one indicator of success, not just at colleges, but beyond that, you can find that everywhere. And so you have created this sense of belonging that elevates your work to an even higher level, which then gives the public and even safer, safer and more trustworthy information and, and uh, ways to follow things. It's just, it's absolutely remarkable. I just want to s- applaud you all. Yeah. I was like saying, oh my God, they are, they are the DH effect, right? <laughs> you know, because like we have these pillars, like it's about self, you know, sense of self-discovery and who am I in this place, in this world? And then it's like, well, can I, how can I develop these high trust relationships? Right. And now to do that, it's to be trusting of others and to earn trust. Like, are you trustworthy? And then that sense of belonging, it takes work. It's not just who are my people? Where are my people at? Like, you know, they got me, they got my back. But what are you doing to contribute to that place of belonging? Because there is that accountability of working towards maintaining that sense of belonging and listening to you all, like, first of all, finding each other trusting each other and then, and then really elevating and pushing the work. I mean, you are changing when we talked about creating impact for a community or society for you, it's worldwide and it's saving it's safe. I don't want to be dramatic, but it's saving lives at the end of the day. It's not dramatic. It's true. Right. Good. Yeah. I want to make sure it's, it is saving lives. Um, Can I just talk about belonging in a bit? So there's a sense of belonging within denim, but also Claudine has revealed some of the work where you guys are talking about, you know, the projects and you always ask who isn't here. Can you speak to that in terms of your target or the public? Who is missing in this conversation? How, who brought that up and and why is that so important? This is about the inclusion and and, uh, just designing for all. And how can we say that? If, have you guys heard of the term design with instead of design for? So with design means you design with people that you work with. So your people that you're designing for, the public, has to be inclusive of everyone that represents that public. The public, and as Saskia was saying, it is a very tall order. And I will say this, just working with FEMA, it's, it's a struggle to make it a first thought. And that's where I'm, if we can just make it a first thought to say, let's design with the public and who's missing from this representation, whether you're hearing impaired, you know, whatever your abilities, whatever social economics, geography, you know, uh, where you live. Um, And it's still a struggle to have that as a first thought. It's usually like, oh, and by the way, we got to make sure we have multiple languages. We got to make sure it's like this. And I would like to see that switched. And I'm really fighting for that um, on the federal level. It's slow, but we do this project and I'm like, and by the way, now how does this translate to someone who can't see have a visual impairment? What's the other, like Saskia said, what's the other sensory that we can offer? Um, So who's missing is the constant question that I wish was first in all of our projects with the stakeholders that we work with, with the um, decision makers from my perspective. I think it's also a question that we are seeing more broadly being added across government projects, et cetera, but also across commercial projects. Because in the past, the attitude was very much, okay, we learned for this, we know what's best. Um, Whereas 
what you'll find is okay, you, you have a lot of knowledge, but you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle when you're standing there by yourself. And you often require a local perspective and you're not going to get that from, you know, somebody who might have been imported from wherever they come with a lot of knowledge, but they lack that local sense, that tacit knowledge about an area. And that is also required in designing good information systems. I love that. I mean, it really is. It's funny. We find this as an overarching theme. I feel like curiosity has to be one of the number one skills that we all need to have. It seems like such a soft thing, but it's not. You always have to ask that next question or you can't get to a really good, effective um, product or, or communication, whatever that might be. You know, um, I just, I think it's amazing. Last one kind of last questions as we wrap things up. What advice do you have for the public in how we make decisions on interacting with information, finding things that are trustworthy? Um, how, how can we make our best decisions? Well, I'm mid-grant writing right now. I have a grant due over uh, this group. We're working on, I'm working on COVID messaging uh, this past two and a half years and I'm doing a visual analysis, just looking at what has the CDC given us as far as the public, what has California governor's office given us? And then I compare it to governments like New Zealand, who was super top heavy controlled, where there was really no micro versions. It was just one visual campaign over and over again. Um, it is difficult. We understand the public's uh, difficult challenging of getting through a slew of information under crisis mode. And it doesn't have to be screaming in the streets crisis. This is a sustained and anxious, a year and a half, right, of, of and, and, and politics and all of these other things playing into it. Um, for the public, it is going to social media has been what I have found in my research. And I'm working with FEMA, we're working with Twitter right now to see the biggest competition is a deluge of information that's not credible. That's not, you would get a agency who would tell you what to do and then immediately it's 18 seconds and then already it's toppled um, with other, you know, a neighborhood who, who found a picture of the fire or whatnot and that supersedes. So it is really being more critical. I think uh, Sonia as going back to your, my tour of fonts that's, you know, on the street is uh, visual literacy is lacking. I think just in overall, but yet visual is the main um, media that's distributed because reading is also visual. Um, being more critical and making sure, because I know Twitter has those little seals now of credible information and trying to just dig one more level deeper and what are you reading from whom? Uh, that would be something, because I, I understand how frustrating it is to have to, you're then placed in a position, the public, to have to you know cipher what's real, what's not. Um, I think looking at the source of the information is also really important. That's something you can really easily do uh, as a member of the public. You can see, okay, was this my neighbor from, you know, 10 years ago who shared this? And is she a credible source? Or maybe she's not a credible source. And, and that's something that you can easily do. And think twice before you share something, because a lot of what's out there is not true. And if you're sharing it, you're only contributing to this confusion. So maybe just read through and don't share something unless you're really, really sure of it and you have credible source to back up your opinion or your statement. 
Oh, I just have to put an exclamation point on that. Just because it speaks to a belief you might have does not mean that it's credible. <laughs> right? I mean, I think that that's what's so important is we I feel like there's a lot of people out there. And if they read something, and they're like, Oh, yeah, that's what I think, then they're done. They don't ask the next question. They're not curious. Um, Rodrigo, you were going to say? Yeah, well, I, I will. I would like to add uh, that uh, working with people or designing specifically with people, uh, it takes a it takes a lot of time uh, involving them, uh, trying to include uh, and always uh, looking at uh, some groups that probably will feel excluded. So it's very important to 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 involve, but to, to include, integrate. Uh, uh, minorities or people that are out of the mainstream that you are designing. Um, for example, we have designed a, a set of uh, elements for, for COVID crisis that we are translating texts into indigenous languages, uh, not just the hegemony, hegemony of uh, English, Spanish or French and German, uh, but uh, we are doing uh, Maori and, and, and English or here in South America, Nahua, Me Mexican Nahua or Paraguayan um, Guarani or Chilean Mabungun. So uh, I think it, it, you can make a difference when, when you display this uh, everyday elements of information in your language. It's, it's speaking like you or speaking your own uh, cultural roots. Uh, so it's, it's a very beautiful example of how, how could you, with a little uh, effort, you can include or feel, uh, make feeling people included in a, in a design process. Mm. That's so beautiful. Uh, Tingyi, did you have anything that you wanted to add before we close out? Everybody sort of had a chance to say. <laughs> yeah, um, I think uh, uh, to um, actually, I, I think it's, it's the most important is uh, um, uh, as a designer point of view, um, uh, being a good design is uh, uh, have an empathy. Mm -hmm. So it's not only like I do or I provide information for you to believe me or trust me or just do what I'm telling you to do. Uh, as a designer, we always thinking about uh, who is the stakeholders, who is the viewers, who is the users. So the empathy uh, uh, and, and also bring our skills and our knowledge to embrace those uh, uh, representation, no matter it's uh, objects or tangible or intangible. And so I, I think that it, it's kind of a, a cross-discipline uh, what we are doing. And, um, um, and that's why it brings uh, how important the design could bring uh, such a, um, a better environment for people, yeah. Wow, mm -hmm. well, go ahead, Sonia. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you've planted a seed in my mind because right now in, in terms of the empathy, I'm thinking about my neighborhood. And as I was listening to all of you, I'm thinking about, do, do I know, I know my neighbors, but do I truly know them? And now I think, oh my gosh, the woman across the street, should there be emergency, she cannot walk quickly. She will need to have assistance right away. The other, there's a family who's Brazilian and may not know like the icons right away. So for me, I'm taking it home personally of and a sense of belonging starts in my neighborhood. 
And do, am I aware of my neighbors? Am I aware of the needs? Because if I want to be safe for me and my family, to me, and this, it's a safe neighborhood. It's a safe community and always thinking of that. And I just so appreciate you planting that seed in my head because my awareness has really expanded. So that's what I was, that's it. That's just my reflection moment right now. No, Sonia, that's beautiful. I'm so glad that you said that because I was thinking uh, something similar, not as eloquent as what you said it, but just the idea of, again, asking the who says that goes all the way back to, we've been saying that a lot this year, Cassandra Speaks was a book that we both loved. And there was this idea of who says, you know, this information, who says, um, and I love, again, the inclusivity, the belonging, the trustworthiness, the intention, the passion, and the joy. You all are showing up with so much joy in what you're doing, too. I mean, which is amazing to me because it's a pretty heavy thing that you're doing, and you're doing it so beautifully. So thank you. How can our listeners find out more about you? Our website is a great place to start. So dnem.org. And we are also on Facebook. I know Facebook is my the young students are like, we don't do Facebook anymore, but we have a Saskia sign up for our newsletter. We have a really great newsletter that goes out. Uh, Saskia is uh, the author of that. It's super good. Um, and that's how you can start getting involved. You could uh, see our members list because we do have members that get nominated and then they had to get they're voted on as part of the extension of our, our work. So I, those two places would be a great way to start. Thank you so much. We are going to list all of the, the links everywhere and all of the postings so that our, our listeners and viewers can just simply click on that. Um, and then, and, and I'm assuming membership is the academia world to join the work that you are doing. Is that, or do you have cheerleader members? <laughs> so anyway, that's what yeah, I love that. And that's where we're, we're just, we're slowly thinking of that. And like membership, there's no fee. We don't get fees for membership at the moment. This is all think tank. Um, really, we have a lot of emergency managers, we have a lot of scholars, um, you know, academics. But I do think, like you said, Sonia, there's a value to also opening up the public sphere. If we're going to do with design, you know, this would be our next. We're just, we want to also have a student here. So students who are learning and who want feedback. So we're working on those kinds of programming things. It truly is a gift to have you here. And thank you for the work that you all do to keep the entire world a safer place. For sure. Thank you everyone for joining us for this week of the DH Effect. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and all the podcast platforms that you listen to your podcasts on. So Spotify, Apple, Google, all of it. And then we are going to continue this conversation on our Instagram account and Facebook. So we have a Facebook too. So join, join both of our Facebook page. We hope you found something that inspires you to take action in your life. Perhaps for this episode, it's about learning what to trust. How do, how do you vet the trust in getting accurate information to make decisions? And, and we have to emphasis on the end, looking around to ensure that everyone is safe. Ask the question, who, who is missing? Until next time, may you have the courage to live with a decided heart that is anchored with self-discovery, high trust relationships, and belonging. Thank you, everybody.